A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Folks, welcome back to the Poe Hitter Podcast. This is the Dead Poe Hitter. Tonight, I had the opportunity to sit down with Mr. Frank Stample from CBS Sports Fantasy. Um, if anyone doesn't follow Frank or follow his work, um, I don't know what you've been waiting for, but he works for CBS and CBS Sports, and they, he has his hands in football, baseball. Um, but tonight, we obviously talk about baseball, the Fantasy Baseball Podcast. And um, yeah, Frank and I were in the main event together. Um, and just, we go through a bunch of things in terms of how he prepares for drafts. Um, we talk about fab, we talk about draft champions in the NFBC, the main event, um, certain pockets of the drafts that we were in together. Um, you know, a couple of things that went wrong for his team, a couple of things that went right. Um, so we covered different formats, different strategies, uh, talk a whole bunch of great, useful actionable advice um and yeah i'm excited um it's, it was a great episode we got a great chat um i hope everyone gets the opportunity to take a lot from it so um and yeah we talk a little bit about some new adp right now that's out on the nfbc there's four leagues available to see the adp from from draft champions there's also about three leagues you can get from the nfbc 50 which is 12 team draft and hold style so um, it, it, it's really, you know, it's changing, uh, changed from last year. It's, you know, it's going to be changing throughout the year. So, but it's cool to take a look at it now and kind of start to formulate a game plan going forward. Um, a lot of you reached out about the last episode with Zach and John Fish. We got some good feedback. So hopefully to just keep it going, um, you know, and bring the off season fantasy podcast advice that, um, will lead you to great success in early drafts and throughout the season that's the goal here that's the aim is to um shine a light bulb on what everyone else has to say uh and give a little bit of insight into their mind about how they like to play fantasy baseball and um and let you guys hear it you know so um we'll get right into that right now um also uh the baseball forecaster by baseball hq will be coming out um, Thanksgiving, the PDF file, if you ordered it early, um, if you have not ordered it yet, or if you've never ordered it before, go ahead and do so, baseballhq.com, it's the, it's a fantastic publication every year, it's what got me really first started into the whole analytics of fantasy baseball in 2011, and, um, I don't go a season without reading it and always referring to it pretty much daily, um, as well as uh, the process, which will also be coming out soon by Jeff Zipperman and Tanner Bell, which will be also a ton of information. Highly recommend um, starting off with both of those books. You know, um, even if you're a late drafter, get those books, read it th- uh, through November, December, uh, January, and just 
Um, they're both uh, big, big, big publications. Lots of information, but you know, dive into it um, and find better ways uh, to play the game. So um, here we go. We're going to talk uh, to Mr. Frank there for CBS. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast. I'm Rob DiPietro, the Dead Pull Hitter. Tonight, I am with a special guest, Mr. Frank Stample from CBS. How are you doing tonight, buddy? Thanks for joining me. Yo, Rob, what's going on, man? I want to give you a big congrats, first and foremost, right? Like, you're welcoming me on the podcast. I feel like I should just flip this on you and ask you all the questions, right? Because, like, you're absolutely crushing it in the NFBC right now. I know we were in the uh, the NYC main event last year, drafted together. You wound up taking down the uh, the standalone league. Obviously, uh, you know, Phil took down everything overall-wise. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I know that you, you place in overall DC as well. So, dude, you're absolutely crushing it. Thank you for having me. Thanks, man. Absolutely. I remember meeting you at that draft. We had, you know, talked uh, a little bit through Twitter. And then um, it's funny because I remember you walked in. I was sort of sitting right with the SP streamer. And the first thing I remember, I never forget what you said. I don't know if you remember, but you said, I haven't been up this early and God knows how long. <laughs> and you, I was, you cracked me up because I know how much, you know, of work that you've put into your podcast and your work at CBS. So I know you're constantly grinding, but I just never... I get that. You you had a look on your face like this is way too early for me. Oh, dude, and you know what it was too? It was like I had this thing where when I, well, I'm so excited about what's going to happen the next day, I can't sleep, man. You know, like mm. I, I think I woke up that day at like 6 a.m. Like it, that's just not normal. You know, normally I go to sleep at like 3 or 4 a.m. And I, you know, I'm usually waking up. I'm, I'm a night owl. I like to stay up late and then sleep in a little bit. But yeah, I just I could not sleep, man. I was so excited uh, to to hop in, do the main event there, and. Yeah, so I was up early. Um, yeah. and maybe that's part of the reason why I drafted the way I did, you know? Or maybe we could you sit next to Masato. Maybe he he just <laughs> he was too much for you. <laughs> no, no, that no, was a was, good time. He was good. He was good. Was, yeah, I no, I love Micah Busted Balls. He's a good boy. Um yeah. was that your first live main event? No, so uh, I think it was twenty hmm. 2019. I also uh did another one where uh, I had a buddy of mine that at my previous job, the Fantasy Sports Network, uh, he basically funded the entire thing. And he's like, look, you run this team for me. It seems like you know what you're doing. Uh, but I was like, I did not know what I was doing yet. Like, mm -hmm. at that point, mm -hmm. like, I, I needed more seasoning uh, yep. in the NFBC. Like, it, it was a good learning experience. So I did the the NFBC main event live there, uh, same spot, Stewart Hotel. I believe it was 2019. Yeah. And, um, I, like, I think I was in the top three going into June or July, and it was the year that Chris Sale got hurt, like, midway through the season, and he was, mm. like, my second-round pick. And I, had, I picked up Frankie Montas that year, so it was like, you lose Chris Sale, you lose Frankie Montas that year, like, where he broke out and he was dominating, and it's just like, once you lose those guys in a 15-teamer, it's, it's pretty hard to come back from that, so. Right, yeah, absolutely it is. Yeah, um, so – when did you make the transition from um so that was your first experience with the nfpc in that in that draft or have you played like other draft champions prior to that yeah so i think i did uh, a few other draft champions maybe you know the two or two or three years prior to that so you know i, I you know i would do like one draft per year mm -hmm. i didn't really understand like how serious this was you know i was like all right you know i got a couple of bucks i could throw around whatever play nfpc league um and then, like, the more you learn about it, you realize, like, all right, no, like, these guys are super smart. Like, everybody knows what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, at my previous job as well, the Fantasy Sports Network, 
uh, I, I started, I had the opportunity to work with Matt Modica every single day. So he okay. was like hosting the morning show and I was part of like the afternoon show. Uh, so we would meet up like every day we'd be around each other and we're talking and you know, he's revealing all this stuff to me, like just changed my, the, my, my perspective on fantasy baseball, the way that I look at things and stuff. And I think that was that year. It might still be his pin tweet, right? Like he, he, I think he called it like oh, his, his Mona Lisa. Lisa. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah, he just, yeah. Like he took down a bunch of stuff that year. So I respect the heck out of Matt Modica, great player. Uh, but he was really the one that like exposed me to like the NFBC and all the different kinds of formats that they have and stuff. But yeah, I think it was, I probably started in like 2016 or 2017. I would do like one draft champions per year, slowly, slowly built up. And then last year was where I, you know, I really kind of, I jumped in. I think I had like seven or eight different DCs. Uh, one of them was like a 400, uh, main event. And, and by the way, I'm splitting all of this with someone else, my buddy Constantine, like there's no way I'm just like dishing out all this money. So, uh, we're, we're splitting a lot of that stuff, but, um, mm -hmm. yeah, last year was like the year that I, I really kind of jumped in. Yeah. And like you said, it, it, it really is a, a wow. You know, my first year playing with the short season, I actually, I did in, um, in 2019, I did one of the second chance leagues, like that started in May. Um, but 2020, the short season, I did a main and the draft champions and yeah, I, you know, it really punches you right in the face when you're in in the league with Hall of Famers and just great players. But then you realize, like, just everyone is so competitive and so good. It's just otherworldly. But it's cool because, like you said, you just learn a lot. You learn so much. You learn instantly, like, all right, well, this is what I need to do to get better, and I have to get better. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep getting, you know, wrecked by these dudes. But um, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, definitely, it's definitely next level stuff, you know? Yeah, 100%. Look, we were just talking beforehand, right, about, you know, draft software and what to use for slow drafts, what to use for fast drafts. And, uh, you know, once you figure out how to do stuff like that, then you, then you just you have to take it one step further, right? And, uh, you know, if, if you've listened to any, I'm sure you have, if you've listened to any of the, the podcasts that, like, Phil has done with, like, Jeff Erickson and stuff, revealing, like, all the work that he put in to figure out, you know, how, how to dominate this past season basically right. uh, coming off the shortened season like you realize like the guy put in a massive amount of work and that's how he was able to dominate the way that he did right yeah you really have to put it in you know 100 percent. like uh gotta be like not afraid to be a little different too and you know um and, and it's funny speaking of matt modica but when i first met him in during the main last year and we were hanging out and he said you know it's it's good to le like learn from other people but you're only gonna grow when you you know, make just clearly your own stuff, you know, like your own thoughts, your own ranking, just do things on your own. And it's, it's really like, it's true because um, you have to adapt your own way and, um, you know, find it and just keep getting better at it, you know, hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, and you, you kind of have to take stances too, right? Like you have to figure out like the player pool inside and out. You have to know like where the value is. And I know a popular thing is like building your draft from like the back forward. If you're doing like 50 round draft and hold draft, right. and like just knowing where the value is, right? Like, so if, if rounds 40 through 50 is, is where there's like good pitching value, just knowing, all right, well, I'm loading up on hitters before then. And then I'm just going to grab a bunch of pitchers late. So uh, I, again, that's just like, it's taking stances. It's just knowing the player pool in and out. Um, yeah. Right. I think that's, you know, you're hundred percent right. It was last year. I just remember um, consistently having a firm plan of usually in the round where 
between like uh, ADP 150 to like 250 when everyone's starting to go for the rookies and the home run picks. And, you know, you just keep taking the Andrew McCutcheon types or guys who just know that have a job and are going to play and are steady Eddie players. And uh, you, you say, all right, well, I'll look at all these hitters available that I'll gobble up. And then, you know, you take, like you said, you see some pitching lading uh, later on, like a Logan Webb, like last year, just one of those guys because of, of, of my strategy ended up being um, like, okay, you know, I'm going to end the draft with uh, 10 out of 12 pitchers. Um, and you just make a list of guys you might want to, you know, uh, grab that can throw some innings. And then from those, from that list, I remember just kind of going through all the guys, just seeing like, all right, which one should I, uh, you know, for, go in for. And then I see, oh, like Webb oh, had a little bit of a month of a different pitch change. And that's like what kind of led me to Logan Webb, like not really that he popped off, but it's just that process and diving deeper into that lump of pitchers that I was like, okay, let's see who might be draft worthy, you know, Kyle Freeland or Logan Webb. They're not sexy, but like, if you can get those picks uh, kind of right, or even halfway, right. You know, it's, it's huge. Yeah. 100%. I'm right there with you. Right. So um, tell me about the like the path to where you are now. Um, how did you get into the fantasy analyst world? Um, is this something you knew you wanted to do? Like, you know, how do you end up here? If you don't mind sharing me the story. Yeah. So, you know, once you get to, to high school and you stop growing and, and you know, you're just kind of standing there at, at five, nine, 170 pounds, you, you just know that you're not going to be a professional athlete. Right. So you got to figure out, all right, well, what's what's the next move? Right. Like, what am I going to do? So. Uh, you know, I look, obviously I love sports. Uh, you know, we we're talking beforehand. I love basketball, baseball, football, three different sports. I play a bunch of stuff, just started playing golf, not really good at it, trying to become good at it. Uh, but yeah, I knew I wanted to do something in sports and, uh, growing up, my dad played a ton of fantasy sports, like fantasy baseball, fantasy football. And we're talking about like the nineties. He's not playing on a computer. He's like mailing in his lineups Man, like, right. in the mail, like mailing in, his lineups, yes. mailing in his waiver claims. Like, you know, you want to call You want to make a trade. Like you're calling someone on the phone and then you're telling the commissioner like, Hey, this happened. Right. So, <laughs> so my dad, I, that was my first exposure to it. And, and he used to always, have, he's, he would let me name the teams. He was like, what do you want to okay. name the team? That's what he would ask me. So I had exposure to fantasy for like a pretty long while. Um, so yeah, I think I started playing fantasy baseball in like my senior year of high school. That was 2009, uh, and I've been playing fantasy baseball, fantasy football, fantasy basketball every year, basically, ever since. So in college, started a blog, fantasyondeck.com. Look it up on YouTube. There's a bunch of embarrassing clips of me on there. Uh, eventually worked my way up, got an internship at this place called the Fantasy Sports Network, Eventually, that turned into a, a full-time job. I was like a video producer. Eventually, get some on-air opportunities uh, and a couple of years there. And eventually, I get noticed by CBS, which is crazy because, like, when I first started playing fantasy, the, the CBS podcasts were, like, the first ones I listened to, right? So, it was, right. like, fantasy baseball today, fantasy football today uh, for, like, the past decade. Right. And now I'm hosting one of them. Like, it's just so weird, you know, the way that things work out that way. Right. Um, but yeah, like that was, it was just, you know, I would, I would get to another step and then, uh, you know, I would, I would get noticed. I would get more opportunity. Uh, and a big part of that was Nando DeFino, right? So like he used to host the fantasy baseball today podcast, at CBS. Then I worked with him at the fantasy sports network. Uh, and yeah, it was from there on, it was just one opportunity after another. Uh, there's like a million people to thank, but that's like a short, long story, kind of long story. That's awesome, man. It's a, it's such a great path, you know, especially like, um, like starting, you know, 
with your uh, with your dad like you know it starts off in the family that's great i feel like i was the same way like my my brothers and i always played um either fantasy or stratomatic you know how dad used to get us that um and and it, 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 it's funny because you know he would buy us it like probably like one every like three or four years or five years so there was sometimes when it was like a rookie you know and we wanted to get him in the game you know and so we'd like cross off an old retired guy and like pencil in like a new name, you know? And it's funny because I look back at it and I'm like, man, it's like kind of like just finding like a similar skill set in, in fantasy. It's like, that's how I remember like first doing things like that. Just being like, Oh, David justice is going to be, you know, Kent Urbeck or whatever the hell it was like, you know, like it was something strange, but yeah, it always, you know, it start, started with the family too. And then it just grew into um, uh, same thing. Can't can't play sports because uh, there's not too many five two uh, you know point guards or 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 power hitters in in major league sports. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's cool, man. It's a great path, and it, it shows too. Like just you know work hard, and uh, you know don't like like I say, don't be a bag of shit because you're just a like a really awesome dude. You know, like from everyone I talk to, from the way you you know, uh, everything about you, just like you're cool, calm, and just a real nice guy. So it, it goes to show you, like, just be nice to everyone and put in hard work and, you know, you can follow your dream for sure. Yeah, no, I really appreciate those kind words, man. Um, and you know, like I mentioned this, I think I was on, you know, Nick Pollock does a, a podcast series like this, where he has people on from around the industry and he, you know, he asked them, you know, how they got to where they are, uh, similar to this question. And, uh, I mentioned to him, like my mom would always tell me a bunch of like cliche stuff, like, you know, if you work hard, people are going to notice, right? And I would always be like, look, all right, I get it. It's fine. Like, you're supposed to say that you're my mom, right? And at the end of the day, it was true, right? Like, if you told me five years ago, I'd be where I am. I'd, there's no way, you know, I just, right. it's crazy, right? So it, it's true, man. Like, you work hard, be nice. Don't be a bag of shit the way that, you know, yeah. <laughs> Rob tells you to do. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, look, good things are going to happen. You know, it seems cliche, but it, it really is true. No, a hundred percent is my old job. Like, you know, uh, used to, uh, we used to work for different contractors at work and, you know, uh, a certain friends of mine would be mad if they landed with a contractor they didn't like or whatever. And they were just like, eh. I'm like, you're, you're letting it affect your performance too. And like one day they may have all the work and you may not have work. And that's all they're always going to remember that you had this pissy attitude, you know, like, so, yeah, it, it may not be ideal for your life, but, you know, you got to swallow it. You got to, you know, keep going forward, you know, like you can't show that if you're super unhappy, do something else, you know, that's simple as that. So that's awesome, man. So it, it's cool to, uh, it's cool to hear about stories like that, about how people evolved into, you know, what they're doing today. So um, I wanted to know, uh, let's talk about like drafting and your, you know, your, your draft prep. Tell like, can you give us a little peek into like uh, what you like to do to establish your rankings? You know, you don't have to give us all the sauce, but do you like have a, like a projection based system or do you like to look at skills based? Um, fill us in. Yeah. So uh, look, there's no secrets with me. I'll, I'll tell everyone basically, uh, it's a little bit of everything, right? And mm -hmm. and so I keep this running document in the off season. It's a Google Doc where I just take as many notes as possible, right? So last year's was seventy three pages long, and it's just that's twelve font, by the way. So th th these are a lot of pages. There's a lot of <laughs> pages, by the way. Yeah. Um. So I do it like that because I'm, you know, I'm constantly doing podcasts, right? I'm hosting the CBS podcast, and you know, I'm hopping on uh, the Pull Hitter podcast, and all these other different things, and I, I need to be able to 
find information quickly, like have it accessible. So that's part of the reason why I keep it in just like this long running document uh, all off season. But it's a bunch of different things, man. It's like surface level stats, where players have finished at their position, the, the most recent years, uh, pitch mix changes. I'll take projections into account. Uh, ADP changes from like one month to the next. Mm-hmm. So I'll download like NFBC data and, you know, compare and contrast. All right, well, this was ADP in, in November. Let's compare it to December, see who's rising, who's falling, things like that. Uh, I'll try to read uh, from The Athletic. I have a subscription there. I follow right. every single baseball team. I follow every single football team. I try to read as much as possible, uh, see if there's any quotes that stand out. Because obviously, look, a lot of what we're doing is uh, it's a, it's objective. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's. It's numbers. It's, okay, stats don't lie. These, these are what the numbers say. Uh, and, you know, that's one way of doing things. And I think it's a very successful way. But I think that oftentimes, like, a lost part of what we do is the human element, right? And the fact right. that, you know, I've heard many people talk about this already. I had Hyunjin Ryu on my main event team this year. He was awful in the second half. I don't know if it had to do with sticky substances, whatever it might be. Uh, but... We get the story that comes out late in the season that he wasn't near his family and like he missed his family. Like he wasn't around his family for like the whole year and stuff because of everything that was going on with the Toronto Blue Jays and all these different ballparks that they're playing in. So, I mean, that's real. That's like a, you know, that's a real thing. That's like a, there's a human element there. So I try to find as many little like random tidbits like that and stuff and try and work that uh, into the analysis. But to answer your question, dude, it's everything. It's, you know, stat cast. It's, I'm looking at plate discipline, numbers, walks strikeouts. Uh, I try to do a little bit of everything, man. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's solid. You pretty much covered exactly. I think, uh, I mean, if you're covering all those bases then you definitely on a path to success, but I love, I love how you talk about just having that running document, right? Because we are listening to so many things. We're reading so many things, you know, and to try to, you know, rain man it off the top of your head is cool. If you could have that ability, you know, that's awesome. But yeah, I'm the same way taking like quotes and putting into a doc or sending links of an article that I want to remember, you know, just into one spot where I know I can go to it and, and just, you know, and look at it. But I think the ADP thing is huge too. It's just um, having a feel for what everyone uh, is, is doing, not to like, uh, you know, um, mimic it, but to just know where, where you like your players and you know how to work around that it's a it's such a good tool to um to really take advantage you know i know some people are like ah, i don't look at it because it doesn't matter to me it's like well that's not the point you know <laughs> yeah, no, look you you you'll know this too like you hear it every year like once we get to the main event throw adp out the window these guys yeah. are going to get who they want that's that is what it is and like you don't have to live and die by adp but it's there for a reason right i mean it's you know it's a it's a guide. It's a rubric. These are, you know, these are where players are going. You should know that, you know, if you're pouring money into this thing, it's, it's obviously an investment. So, you know, you should, you should put the work in and at least know where players are going. And, and if something looks out of whack, all right. I mean, that's someone either that you're targeting or, or you're going to be avoiding because of that. Right. And I love how you brought up the human element. That's what we just, you know, totally kind of lose fight. Uh, uh, a side of and 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 that's for everything it's like for everything that's going on in the world like everyone's human like let's just bring that to into focus you know and and respect each other that way too and um it's it's totally right like when you read about that like wow oh wow this guy has a family that he misses yeah yeah that makes sense you know and then he, he looked like he was clearly injured also so and then like you know even the injury thing right it pops up a 
Alex Bregman like has wrist surgery and we're like, where did this come from? <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So all those little things, like you said, uh, on the athletic tabs. Yeah. I follow all the teams too. And it's like, sometimes I'm like, you know, just like racing to think I forgot something, you know, like that bad feeling of like, did I read all the articles I had to, you know, it, yeah. <laughs> it gets a lot sometimes, you know, it's just, you could really like, you know, have to peel yourself away if you're like driving yourself into the wall. Um, because I feel like I need to cover everything as I can, you know, um, because everyone else is doing the same thing, you know? So, um, so do you feel like there's anything, uh, that popped out to you that, you know, you kind of want to do maybe different this year than you did last year? So I think one thing I'm going to try to do differently in, again, like we're talking beforehand, I want to, like, I've dabbled with draft software before, but, I feel like especially like if you're doing slow drafts, right? Like it's just so beneficial to, to be able to use uh, a product like that. And there's so many out there, right? So just, I mean, you know, pick and choose or ask around and see what other people use and, and, and try and figure out uh, what you want to do with that. But something else I was thinking about was uh, ATC projections. Ariel Cohen, really smart dude. Had him on my podcast before. Played tennis with the guy. Like awesome dude. Uh, his For his projections, he does an aggregate. So like he, he takes other projections and, and he combines them together so something that i'm thinking of doing myself is just like trying to find as many rankings from like reputable people as i possibly can and and trying to do something similar right so like specifically for pitching two guys that i think are two of the smartest guys uh and and they really specialize in pitching are nick pollock from pitcher pitcher list and michael simeon sp streamer so both of their their rankings are already out Why not take both of them, compare and contrast, see what's different, see who's higher on who, who's lower on who, and and try and figure out why. Uh, So I think that's something that I'm going to try and do a little bit more of this season. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, that's – I know um, Jeff Zimmerman um, on Fangraphs is covering – he's testing the accuracy of of all the projections from last year um, through, like, early March and later March. Um, And it's pretty pretty impressive, the depth of it to – um, to see like what, what, you know, what projection system hit on what. And uh, yeah, I feel the same way. I use, uh, I use Tanner Belt. Um, uh, it's a projection aggregator and it, it could store up to five at the same time. And you can kind of like weight them too. So, you know, if you trust one more than the other, per se, you can give it a higher weight and it's great. You know, it, it, you throw it in there, it spits out. And cause like, I think Jeff said in the article, like the wisdom of the crowds usually wins, you know, when you can take five very reputable sources right and mold it into one and to understand what each one does better for you or you know the better results of it you, you know that's a great start for sure um yeah there's a ton of good products out there it's, there's definitely no shortage of that and 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 also um uh steve weimer who's a great uh great um draft champions player and main event player as well he finished in the second second place overall this year and two years ago. So he sniffed first place overall pretty close twice. But uh, if you go on his page on Twitter, he had, he showed, um, he does like, he takes the rankings of, like you said, like top reputable sources. And then he took the, the projection rankings, what they spit out. And then he showed the difference in like um, where, where the human one and where the, like, you know, the computer based one, it's, it's pretty cool. Cause uh, it gives you a good, like, good little snapshot of like, um, you know, what kind of pictures maybe excel better through the projection system. So uh, yeah, that's a great start hundred percent. 
Yeah, and um, I think it's, I just wanted to touch on that real quick. I think it's a good point that you bring up too. What you were just talking about is after the season ends. I mean, the, the work isn't just over there. Like, okay, of course, like you could celebrate the season's over. It's a long season, but I think you know, going back and realizing what you did right, what you did wrong, trying to mm-hmm. learn from that uh, is is also key. So you know, it's it's not just like all right, the season's over. Let's move on to the next one. It's a lot of it is going back and and, and trying to figure out what what went right, what was right in your process, and and what was wrong and trying to learn from that right especially you know you you could take a little look at it and be like oh you know i i got robbie ray everywhere but there's more to it like robbie ray would have definitely helped you but you know there's definitely as much as you could look back like you said and dissect your, your team and the league too um you know and that's what i loved about the book the process because they show the trend and like fab and everything um in in the nfbc so if you're playing in that region and and i just think it's important for home leagues too right it's just um you know i, I like to think about my home league is like uh we've been together for you know i think 18 years now so it it it's hard to fool people who know you kind of like inside out you know it yeah. <laughs> it, it, it gives its like own layered uh you know scrappiness about it that you, you it's so different because you can't um you know i know there's one guy who's just gonna always take uh, two $20 catchers, you know, and he's going to take three $20 closers is what he does every year. And no one stops him and he just does it, you know, it's a strategy and he sticks to it. <laughs> and, you know, it's hard to work around that, you know? Yeah. Um, so you, you had, uh, I think what about seven, you said seven draft champions last year. Um, I wanted to know if you like saw any differences in the teams that, you know, were kind of better than the teams that did a little worse. Um, and if it's like something, uh, of like a playing time, um, thing or, uh, like an organizational depth thing, is that like, what, what do you feel like, uh, you need to look into when to try to like make all your teams, uh, you know, as good as your best teams were? Yeah, yeah. So I have a few things written down here for for the teams that performed well. Um, it seemed like all of them had strong pitching. You know, they I hit on the mid tier guys. It was Zach Wheeler or or Kevin Gosman or mm. Joe Musgrove. Uh, so that was like the first thing that stood out to me. I looked through all my teams and the ones that won, and, and uh, it came back to like strong starting pitching uh, and, and hitting on that in the mid tier. And uh, at, you know, after that, it seems like it seems obvious, but. Uh, hitting on mid to late stuff too, right? So I had a I had a DC that I won where my top three pitchers drafted were Shane Bieber, Sonny Gray, and Steven Strasburg. Wow, <laughs> that's you know that's it speaks for itself, right? Um, but later on in that in that same draft, I got uh, Marco Gonzalez, and then I got Adam Wainwright in round twenty eight. I got Joe Ryan in, in round forty eight. I got Wade Miley in round forty nine. So again, That's it's like, so huge. These names are not sexy, but it's just like when you're doing a 50 round draft, it's you need to you need to find inning somewhere, right? So like, look, no one wanted Adam Wainwright. He's 40 years old. You get him in round 28. Um, so yeah, I, I think identifying those players, right? Again, like what we're talking about, there's seven drafts worth of ADP available already, and it's only November 16th. You know, a month from now, that number is probably going to be a hundred or whatever it might be. Um, and so I think you know really just analyzing the board and, and realizing like those pockets. So, you know, all right. So from, from rounds 20 through 30, I know that there are a few pitchers that I like here. The, this year's Adam Wainwright, whoever it might be. Um, and, or from 40 through 50, like I know that 
this year, you know, Wade Miley, the boring veteran, or Logan Webb, who, you know, in 2019, maybe he only pitched a little bit, and, you know, I saw something, so I want to carry that over into the next year, and I don't want to forget about that. You just have to find those pockets, right? So, so that was something that stood out to me. Uh, and then the ones that won, it was luck with health uh, and, and closers. It was, um, like, you have to, you may not like to choose saves early in, like, redraft leagues, but... Uh, look, you need them in draft champions. Like, yep. uh, it, it's crazy. Uh, I did a little research of the top 10 teams that finished in the draft champions overall. Nine drafted a closer within the f- top 10 rounds. So, top 150 picks. Nine right. out of 10 of the top, you know, top 10 overall teams uh, drafted one inside the top 10 rounds. Three of those actually chose two inside the top 10 rounds. So, I think at the least 10 rounds through your 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 DC, you need at least one closer. And it probably wouldn't even hurt to have two. Right. Absolutely. I see that happening now. I saw a couple of draft boards uh, floated on Twitter. And you see the Hendricks. Uh, I saw the Hendricks hater double tap, which is interesting, you know, in the second and third. And that's that. That's that's wild. But, yeah, I mean, you know, if you could hit on everything else afterward, you shouldn't have to worry about saves at all. You know, I did my team that was 13th overall. I had you know, only 600 points and saved because I had nothing, you know, like, uh, and, and that's like with like Kendall Graveman saving me, you know, like without Graveman, I, I don't think I, I probably have five overall saves, you know, but something like that was big was like leaning on Jordan Hicks in that week to be uh, expecting 25 or 30 from him was just, uh, you know, a big ask and just, totally wrong so definitely i think closers um i think people are going to be bumping them up completely for sure and and this one draft i'm in right now they just there was a line of them in the fifth fifth uh fifth round just straight across uh closers yellow so it's interesting like what we're doing is crazy right like what we're trying to do like we're drafting fan- fantasy baseball teams in november for a for a, for a league that starts in april like just Full transparency, like what we're trying to do is is crazy. Like we're predicting something that's completely unpredictable, and we're like we're more than three, four months away. Right. Uh, so trying to figure out who's going to be the closer for what team, you know, not just on April first, but like halfway through the season, it's, <laughs> it's at that point, it, like it's crazy. Like so, uh, it's not an easy thing that I'm telling you to do, but I mean, for the ones that you you know you feel pretty damn sure that they're the closer. You probably want one of those guys, even if it's going to cost a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick, whatever it might be. Uh, if you're playing DCs, try to get at least one. And then I would say, you know, once we get into like the teens and like the 20 plus rounds, just just draft skills at that point, right? Like skills with with high leverage roles. And if anything bad happens to the guy ahead of them, like they're, they're probably going to get an opportunity. Yep. Uh, I totally agree with that. That's uh, the year that I won the overall. I didn't take um, uh, I didn't take a closer until. Um, round 23 I took Pagan um, and then uh, I knew I needed to like add those uh, not just one high leverage guy but like the next best and I took you know uh, Ryan Presley and Matt Barnes and and they 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 both overtook you know the role uh, and that was huge like those guys were I think in the top top eight and saves and it was huge for me because and because it was such a later cost I was able to build my team and get saves late which was huge that that just doesn't 
I don't expect that to happen all the time. And last year I had that attitude in a lot of my drafts, like I'll just get it later. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I want these wonderful bats right here, you know, and not take a closer, but it's definitely tricky. The tricky slope. Uh, let's shift our focus to the main event. Let's talk about the league that we played in. Um, and, you know, um, I just wanted to ask you about a couple of the picks that uh, that you nailed um, and then a couple that didn't go so well for you. But again, uh, our league was, you know, I think um, when you're playing in a main event league, every you just got to treat like every guy can win the league, you know, because that's what can happen for sure. Uh, but it was fun. You know, it was my first time doing a lot of draft for, for my for, um, first time meeting Michael and you and uh, Mike Posado, everyone. Uh, it was fun. It, it was really uh, it was really awesome. A good time. And um, I was trying my hardest to make Todd sweat with my fast picks uh, all the time. I think I did a pretty good job. I think a couple of times he he gave me a look like, uh, hey, Rob, like, uh, can you stop doing that? <laughs> Look, it, it's a different beast, right? Like drafting in person, like and look, if you ever have the opportunity to do an auction in person too, like those are just absolutely fantastic, right? So right. people shouting out numbers and stuff, but like, yeah, look, you're on the clock, you've got a minute, everyone's there in person, everyone knows what they're doing. It's 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 tough, and you know, you hear kind of people build it up as, as intimidating. It is. It's that's exactly what it is, and uh, I think what's interesting about that specific main event is. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, but I believe that's the first one of main event draft season, right? It's yes, correct. NYC live event is always, I think it's always the the first main event draft, right? So yep. we don't really have main event ADP to go off of. Like we are kind of creating the first set of ADP that's there. Right. Uh, so I, I, th ADP. I thought that was really interesting as well. Like, yep, making the ADP is awesome. Um, but um, you you started off. I wanted to talk about your first four rounds um you had darvish story um ozzy albies and Marte. so uh you gotta love what you got from albies and Marte, 100 i mean Marte at, at pick 47 overall was, was just amazing um i wanted to ask you about trevor story like i know the expectation is so deep when we you know have these guys in the upper round but like how would you rate his return for you i always wonder how guys feel about a player they picked that you know maybe wasn't so special but wasn't crappy or, and was kind of even because some people will be like ah he stunk you know but you can also look at what he did bring to the table so maybe you could uh talk about that a little bit he wasn't a complete bust um right. but for where he was drafted it was underwhelming for sure right. uh, so I, I think we had pick 14 uh and we took you darvish and then we took trevor story uh with with that second round pick and th this was a di this was different than most of the drafts that we were doing, because more often than not, I think we had we had at least two pitchers in the first four rounds almost all the time. And I believe in this draft, uh, we only had one pitcher through five. So it was it was just that hitters kept falling that we liked. And I kept hearing, I know you had Phil, uh, Phil Dussault on your, on your podcast a few times, and he kept talking about you need a certain amount of steals in the first three or four rounds. And I just kept yes. thinking about that. So yeah. when I see... You know, story is there. I'm like, okay, look, even if he fails me, he's still going to give me 20-plus steals, and that's what he did. You know, he get 24 homers, 20 steals, uh, and then there, 3-4. Ozzie Albies was normally going in, like, the early third, so I, I don't know how he fell that far, but, you know, at that point, I'm like, okay, we're not overthinking it. I, I think, you know, we kind of thought about taking Lance Lynn just to get another pitcher in there, but we're like, no, look, power-speed combination is too good here. We're going to take Albies. We're going to take uh, Starling Marte. Uh, just getting back to Trevor's story. It was fine. Again, I think it was underwhelming. Right. And I think what he did this year, Rob, is kind of what we should expect 
when he leaves Coors. I don't I don't think that there's really any chance that he goes back to to the Colorado Rockies. Uh, but 250, 20 to 25 homers, 20 steals. I think that's a fair expectation for you know wherever he winds up. If it's San Fran, if it's Houston as a replacement for Correa, whatever it might be. Uh, I, I think that's probably what you should expect. And I, you know, that's that that's still a very good, valuable fantasy player for sure. Uh, and it's just it's just so crazy, right? To look back, you see Darvish 14th overall. Now he's going in draft champions at 85. It's just you know when you look at the at the at the quick swings of players, you know, like. And it's so it's so, it's so wild. You could see like this guy was so coveted just X amount of months ago, and now he's completely uh, a little bit of an afterthought after the first pitchers off the board. Yeah, and look, you could say that about Darvish. You could say it about Bellinger, about Christian Yelich, right? And it's it's kind of hard. And I, you know, we tell people not, we tell other fantasy players not to do this, right? Like, don't hold grudges on players that kind of like let you down. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it, it's I I don't know right now like where I'm at with Darvish. I like I don't even at a discount. I, I I don't know his early ADP. Like I'm still not really that interested in him just because like there's so much unknown, right? Like mm. was he helped out by the sticky stuff that much? Was he, was he pitching through injury? Uh, control seemed like it really got away from him in the second half of the season too. So like there are a lot of moving parts for you Darvish. And I think, you know, his fall is kind of warranted uh, based on what we saw this past season. Right. And um, let me ask you something about like the sticky stuff. So, uh, cause uh, you know, I don't know. I'm at like a thought of, you know, that you can, these guys are professional athletes. And, and like, I think that with an off season, they can figure like, you know, I feel like a guy like you Darvish too, even Gary Cole, if he was involved, whatever, I feel like they're going to be smart enough to adjust and whether it's putting something else on them or, you know, like <laughs> learning to pitch without it. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I usually give them the benefit of doubt that they'll figure it out and still be comparable, but like how much, right? Yeah. How much can they go back to, uh, I know like, cause you Darvish wasn't, I mean, he was still striking some guys out. It's just, he, he has some crazy like bad stuff going on like later in the year and his home run for fly ball, I know was like a little high, but it's still so interesting, right? It's still like, it's still you Darvish. And like you said, though, maybe that, maybe that 85 range is still not, uh, the range where you want to get him yet, you know? Yeah, look, like, things just completely changed for Darvish. Like, I was trying to figure it out. I would, it would, he would be, like, on one start, off the next start. So, like, you would bench him for the start after, you know, he got blown up, and then he would bounce back, and then you're like, all right, well, all right, he goes, has this awesome start against the Dodgers. You try to get him back in your lineup, and, and then that's the start where, I think it was against the Diamondbacks one time. I'm watching this, I'm like, all right, well, you know, we're set up. It's Darvish against the Diamondbacks, and he goes out there, and he just gets blown up. So, you look at this past year, the fly ball rate, Rob, is what stands out to me most, 45%. Mm -hmm. I mean, in 2020, that was that was 31. That's right. a massive jump, like a 14 percentage point difference in, in, in fly ball rate, too. So, mm -hmm. uh, And I know, like, the people who were scared off of him, it was more so for, like, injury reasons. Right. He still gave right. you almost 170 innings. Like, that. I don't think that was really the issue. It was just, like, something happened midseason that completely changed the landscape of baseball and fantasy baseball, and there was not really any way to see that coming. And there were just some players that were affected more than others. And, you know, Garrett Cole stands out. Um, but I, I tend to agree with you. I think in offseason, they'll be able to figure something out. And they're already talking about, like, pre-tacking the baseballs. They're experimenting with it right now in the AFL. Uh, it's something that they, they use in the Olympics as well. So, uh, yeah, like, I think we'll have a whole offseason to figure it out. I will say, I think, like, the Garrett Cole of, like, 
mid twos ERA. This like it's gone. One whip. I think that's gone. I think yeah. like we're looking at a probably low threes ERA. He's gonna give you like two hundred fifty strikeouts. Probably like a a one oh five to one ten whip, which is still a really really good pitcher. Yeah. But is it a, is it like a mid first round pitcher? I don't know. Probably not. Like I, I don't think I want to do that. So right. Kind of like the guy that took the juice. Like still good off of it, but otherworldly on it yeah, yeah. <laughs> you sense, know? Right? yeah yeah but um just get back to garbage real quick yeah you mentioned the fly ball um percentage of 45 in the second half it wasn't that bad it went down to 39 for the last 50 innings pitched and he like i say he had a, a 57 percent left on base percentage and his sierra was actually 355 to the 625 era so something who knows you know he's going to be i don't know he, i i keep I'm going to mop because he's one of the guys that keeps coming. When I come up to him in the draft, it's like, hmm, you know, he's just so intriguing because like you said, still bringing the innings pitch, right? Still almost 170, 30 game start. So, um, you know, and uh, he's one of those guys, right? If you, if you invest in a guy like this, like uh, we're buying a dip, I guess. And, and, and he goes crazy again. It's awesome for you. So um, this is another part of that. uh, Another great part of fantasy. Um, so getting to round six to eight in the main, um, I want to hit on the pitcher run that you little that you went on with Ryu Wheeler Plesak. You mentioned Wheeler for you uh, that that he was a common pick for you. Was that um, something that just kept happening, or he was like a a target for you in drafts? No, this is like one hundred percent. Shout out, kudos to to my draft partner Constantine. Like he was all over Zach Wheeler all off season. So you know we were doing we were doing DCs in like November. And, and he was on him. He's like, no, nah, he's going too late. He's a workhorse. You want pitchers who are coming off the shortened season that are going to give you innings. And, and we knew Zach Wheeler was going to be one of those guys. So that was more so on him. Uh, but uh, look, even in, you know, my right mind, like I couldn't have seen a, a season like this happening for Zach Wheeler. So like he outperformed expectations uh, and then some. Hyunjin Ryu, again, first half of the season, he was fine, you know. And then sticky stuff, playing through injury, uh, family situation, like there's a lot going on with him. Uh, and then, you know, he kind of falls off in the second half. So between the combination of him and, and Darvish as two of our top three pitchers, uh, actually our first two pitchers drafted, uh, it was just like really hard to come back from that. And then, oh, Zach, please, Zach. Zach, please, Zach, buddy. Oh, man. Uh, like, I, so this is what, this is one of my biggest takeaways from last, last year's draft season and, and something that uh, I've learned from. Last year, I was all about uh, drafting pitching in volume, right? So I was kind of like leaning into the volatility of the pitch and like uh, the position. I knew it was like obviously a lot could go uh, wrong for for starting pitchers coming off the shortened season. But I kind of wanted to give myself more of an insurance plan. So I wanted to like lean into that volatility a little bit more with volume. Uh, And so I would just draft a lot of pitchers. I would say, you know, I want want four of my top 30 starting pitchers that are ranked. And instead of like, just finding the pitchers that I really wanted or or finding the pitchers that I didn't want. I think that's more of like the takeaway is I was just like, give me the pitching, you know? So I think this year I do, I need to do a better job of identifying the pitchers in the top 10 rounds or whatever that I actually really like and that I want to be my targets and then finding those same names, you know, for whatever reason, look, if it turns out you Darvish is just someone that I'm fading just stick by it. Like, just realize, okay, that's not somebody that I want. Stay away from that player. Um, so that was like a big lesson learned from Zach Plesak because like, we just, we didn't even like him. It, it, we just, we got him in the eighth round. His ADP all off season and draft champions was like 
the fifth or the sixth. I think sometimes <laughs> we went in the fourth round. So yeah. I'm like, oh man, we got this gift right here. Zach Plesak sitting for us in the eighth round. It's like, all right, well, when you're drafting people that smart, there's probably a reason why that why Zach Plesak's falling to the eighth mm, round. Good uh, point. So I think that that was like uh, one of the, one of the biggest uh, learning points for me last year. Yeah, Plesak was a. Uh, I know there was uh, there was just like a handful of guys who were who, who were pushing the needle on him, but I know a lot of people who felt like he was definitely going to pull back a little bit. But like you said, and that's just something that you you know that's like a brain thing, right? You're like, wow, like you know, like you said, he's been going in the fifties, and now he's here, you know, in the eighties. This 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 has to be a bargain for me, even if you told yourself no. Um, it's just it's just weird how that that thing in your brain <laughs> takes over and completely crushes in that. In that 60 seconds you have to pick, it completely crushes maybe any prep. Um, you know, as dis- as disciplined as you are, you know, it-, it can all fall apart with one one, you know, brain brain fart for a second. It's uh that's just that that's just what happens, you know. Um, it's my first main event during the short season. Um, obviously it was online. Um and I I looked at the list of ADP and I was like, all right, I'm setting them in on Castellanos. And I knew I was going to set it by like, you know, 12 picks. Um, same thing for Lance Lynn making, you know, I'm like, I'm getting these guys way ahead of where they've ever been picked in the main event season so far. And you know what happened? Two people beat me to it. And it was a real slap in the face. You know? <laughs> it was like, and I, I couldn't get over it. Frank, I, I was staring at the screen like, you know, like what, you know, like even though I had, you know, my next guys in my like written down, right? Here's my pivot. I was still so like, what am I going to do now? Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> I was so mad and I couldn't get over that, that feeling, you know, it, it took me over for like four or five rounds. I'm like, I remember my brother who was on Zoom with me just trying to help me out, like, and stay focused. He was like, yo, snap out of it, like, do something, like, you know, get over it. <laughs> Yeah. No, look, man, like we probably don't talk about this enough, uh, just like as like a fantasy industry, but the psychological element, man, like it's, it's hard if you get sniped, like you have this, you know, something that seems too good to be true, right? Like it's getting ready to fall in your lap and then it's like, you know, it's probably going to get taken, but like until it actually happens, it's, uh, it's frustrating. It sucks. Right. And it's like, it's kind of hard to bounce back from. So yeah, like we, we don't talk about it enough, but there's 100% a, a psychological element to not only drafting in person um, with the fast clock, but like even if you're drafting online with the fast clock, like it moves fast. It's a minute per pick. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Definitely, definitely move fast. Um, I so a couple of your middle round hits that were really huge for you. Um, of course, you had you Darvish and I mean, you Darvish, Shohei Otani and Mitch Hanniger. Um, You picked Hanniger in the 13th round at 194 and then Shohei um, in the 14th at 197 um, to get the kind of production from these guys. Right. And, and that part of the draft, like we talking about almost ADP 200. Um, those are one. Those are the ones that really just like, you know, you plug and play all year. Like they just don't come out of your lineup and they, they were awesome. Yeah, and look, if you want to compete in any format like this, but specifically, you know, the main event, you have to find a few guys. And, uh, you know, there's there's two breaks throughout the course of the draft. Like, you do uh, rounds 1 through 10. There's an intermission. You do uh, 11 through 20 intermission. And then you, you finish up the draft 21 through 30. Uh, in that 11 to 20 and 21 to 30, you have to find some. Like, you just, you have to hit on a few gems. Um, yep. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying and, and, like, taking those stances, right? So, 
Uh, you knew that you were going to set the min pick or you were going to try to set the min pick on certain players. Uh, and I, I think that we still wound up with the min pick on Mitch Hanniger uh, because he was going normally in like, I don't know, probably like the 16th or 17th. And, and we took him there at, I think it was the, either the end of the 13th or early 14th. So uh, we knew that we needed an outfielder there. Uh, we liked him quite a bit. Guy seemed like he was finally healthy. Uh, so that that was one that we hit on. And I do remember uh, back in the 2019 one that I did, the, the live main event, I think I got Jorge Soler in like one of the last three or four rounds. And that was the year that he hit 48 home runs. So wow. like, you know, you, you've you got to hit on a few. You, you It's just, if you have any chance of competing, you have to. Otani, you know, much like Zach Wheeler, even in our right mind, like we knew he had some power, some speed. Like we didn't know he was going to turn into uh, a first round bat. I, like, I don't think anyone saw that coming. Uh, likely AL MVP. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. But another one now, like, I don't know if I want to invest a mid first round <laughs> pick on a utility only bat. Like, even yeah. though, yeah, he's awesome. He's probably going to give you 35 plus homers and probably close to 20 steals. That's really valuable. He struggled in the second half. Uh, you know, maybe part of that was due to everyone else was hurt around him. He didn't really have lineup protection. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the strikeouts really got out of control. Can he hold up for a full season? He's already talking that he wants to pitch more innings in, in 2022. So, I don't know. Like, it seems kind of risky to, to right. use your mid-first round pick on, like, a utility-only bat that, okay, yeah, he has pitching eligibility. But let's be honest. You're never going to use him there. I think we, I think we used him twice as a pitcher all season long, as, as long as the season is. And that was because like half the week he was in a national league ballpark. So he wasn't going to be hitting there. Right. So we, right. Yes. We're like, all right, we'll, we'll pitch him these weeks, but you're using him as a hitter. Um, and know, even, kinda, even then worried about like the mid first round ADP, like, what do you think? Like, would, would you pull the trigger Rob mid first round on Otani? Oh man. I love him as, you know, as an athlete. I, I mean, he, it's, to me, it's one of those things where, like, uh, I don't know, it, more people should be trying to, like, have the drive he had and do both. I, I can't – taking him there is tough, uh, I think. I just – I don't know. Like you mentioned, all those things, uh, all the all the worrisome things about him, but he's still, like, what if he gets better, right? I mean, there's also yeah. that possibility. Like, he already showed growth. Who knows if he has the next level. You see the body. You see the drive. He's just one of those, you know, that he, he's he got that eye of the tiger. And, you know, I don't know, man. He's he's just a monster. I I haven't um, – I, 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 I'm in one draft champion now, and I have the, um, the fifth pick. Um, and I took Bo Bichette over him because I just, I just like the team aspect too. And I just wanted to get the shortstop there. Um, and then I, I split, I split a DC with someone. Um, and let's see, I think he was not available to us at 11, but I don't think we were even discussing him. So, um, yeah, I, it's tough. It's a tough spot to take him for sure. And you know what, that would be interesting. I want to kind of know, how many times um, people started him uh, in a non-bat, you know, because even, even when he's at those, like, where you're like, well, he just might even get in the game later in the game or pinch hit, you still don't want to miss those at bats, right? Because that's how on he was at certain points. Um, what about Mitch Hanniger's ADP right now? He's, he's at um, in four draft champions. He's sitting at 108 as high as 83 and as low as 125. Is that a spot where you like him again this year? That seems fair so uh i love this feature that nfbc has now where you can um you can sort all the adp by like a draft board oh that's mint right yeah it's awesome uh so i think that puts him smack in the middle of the eighth round 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like a seventh, eighth round pick. Uh, I think, you know, the power probably takes a little bit of a step back and he's never going to be a, a huge batting average guy, but he's probably going to hit like 250 to 260, 30 to 35 home runs. And I think really good counting stats, right? So mm-hmm. like the Mariners are only getting better. We saw a little bit of Kelnick in, in, in September start to turn it on a little bit. I, every prospect person I've talked to thinks that Julio Rodriguez is going to be up midseason. So I, I think it's I think it's fine. I think you just have to realize like, he is who he is. Like he's not gonna. I don't think he's gonna get better. He's two fifty to two sixty with thirty to thirty five home runs, which is a very good player. Like you know, people we kind of take for granted the counting stats. You like you still need to get those stats somehow. And right. I think Hanniger is like one of those players that could provide it. Right, and I think he kind of went from like a guy that the Mariners were maybe gonna dangle because you know he had a great contract and and they were gonna try to you know do what they do with recycling the young even the younger batch of players in. But I he kind of went to a guy that I think is just going to be a part of that team going forward and you know they, i think they're going to make some moves to to uh give that they're going to have the flexibility in the cap so um it'll be interesting to see what they do but um right yeah it's right now he's the 30th outfielder going off the board and um in draft champions and it's, it's it's just an odd range like it's a spot i'm getting to the draft and i'm just scratching my head like sometimes this like an outfielder in his range has to be my second or third outfielder. And I'm just not comfortable with it. Like just, uh, you got a guy like Brian Reynolds who's, who's well sought after, but uh, Austin Meadows, Kelnick, Grisham, Garcia, um, Adoles Garcia, Lourdes Coriel Jr., you know, Dylan Carlson, Miles Straw. There's a lot of either, you know, like, I don't know. There's a lot of question marks in that range. It's just, yeah. uh, just a spot that I feel like, I don't know. I feel, I feel like this, this wasn't a problem last year in the outfield. Maybe it's just me. I kind of look back at it and I don't know, just, it seemed like the, the options last year were better. And I don't know if this is like a platoon issue thing or I don't know, something, something doesn't look right in that range to me. Yeah. I see what you're saying too, right? Like I had Austin Meadows on my, on the main event team last year too. And uh, he was just a complete mess, like sitting against left-handed pitching fly ball rate went way out of control. I don't know if he was just trying to hit for power. He, he doesn't run anymore. So, uh, I think there's enough reasons to fade Meadows, even even at the spot that he's going in right now in the eighth round. Uh, but, you know, I, Jared Kelnick in the ninth, I think, is, is kind of interesting. He could be like a 20-20 guy. Uh, right. Batting average is a little bit questionable. You know what I'm looking at, though, Rob, is like the very the, the next three to four round range after that, I could see being very in on for outfield, right? So Michael Conforto is going in the 12th. We want to see where he winds up, but, like, imagine that guy in Milwaukee, right? Like, Left-handed power there, like that. That's something that could be awesome. Uh, Eddie Rosario, like we're getting at a discount. This guy is like yep. year in and year out. He's been a top 100 pick, and whenever he's healthy, he's been money. And we just saw him in the postseason, like be awesome again. So right. yeah, like Eddie Rosario in the 13th. You want to make sure he he's gonna go somewhere where he plays every day, but uh, right. he's someone who stands out. Obviously, El Garcia. I like him too in that range. He's right there. Yeah. Who knows where he's landed? But 29 and eight last year, he, he was smashing the ball. Yeah, so, no, yeah. I think that I think that next that next group is like, as of now and again, like we're we're trying to find these pockets of of players that we like, and it seems like maybe that round twelve through sixteen range is is maybe where you want to target outfield. Interesting back to back. I see right here, outfield is 59th and 60th. Julio Rodriguez and Kyle Lewis. So I pick about 230. It's it's pretty interesting right there. You're expecting you know Kyle Lewis to come back completely healthy and be 
in the lineup too and effective and Julio Rodriguez again this is like Kellnick last year was right in this range so um, I know they promoted some minor league coaches to the major league club uh, maybe they're gonna step forth like something to be more aggressive with the younger guys but it'll be interesting you know um, I mean if you go back and look at you know Spencer Torkerson last year was drafted in every single draft champion league you know and at a 300-ish range you know so with so many picks yeah it, it's wild you go back and look at it jonathan india in like 140 leagues but uh and then you get these guys who were drafted in, in, in that year like austin martin 70 80 leagues it's 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 wild how many guys who didn't put up a point or at and at bat were drafted that early you know yeah and i, I think it's okay to take like one or two prospects you know you want to take yeah. some shots i i forgot who was the a twins outfielder that came up this year. I had him. Like, Kirilov or Larnock? Larnack. Yeah, Larnack. Yeah, Larnack. Yeah. So I had him on like all of my teams because he was going super late. And I had a few prospect people telling me like he's going to be up and he, yep. you know, he's got some serious power. So I was drafting him like late in every one of my leagues. And I, I think it's all right. You know, you take a few swings on upside, like one or two prospects, maybe like one pitcher, one hitter, or, you know, maybe you get up to three. But really more than that, like in draft champions, at bats, plate appearances. Look, you don't need me to tell you. Listen to Rob. This guy knows what he's doing. He, he, he's he's won an overall already. Um, you, you need at bats. You need. You need <laughs> yeah, they definitely need at bats. It's a boring but beautiful approach. It, it works. Um, <laughs> just uh, like uh, all my better teams. I, I and there was weeks where you know I was sitting guys like Michael Brantley and Austin Hayes on the same team because I just had like nine outfielders that I was just like so terrified of putting up a zero, you know, and I just wanted as many as I can, because you're going to run into so many injuries and you can't fab. So um, you, you just can't get lured in by the prospects. Save them for other drafts. And like you said, maybe take take a later shot or, or just take less of them. I think I had like Josh Jung in a couple of drafts in the you know, 49th, 50th round. Uh, take your shots there just in case, you know. Um, is there anything that anything else uh, that kind of popped off to you while you were browsing this ADP data? Any position or players that kind of caught your eye? Uh, the closers that we talked about, right? So, right, yeah. Like the top two closers, Hendricks and Hader, last year their ADPs were 57 and 58, wow. respectively, yeah. like in the NFBC. <laughs> yep. Now they're at 38 and 39. Yep. Uh, so, like, they've already moved up 20 spots, and uh, it's November. So, yep. I, like, usually closers move up, like, the further we get into draft season. I, I mean, are we talking about these guys as, like, second-round picks? I, I I don't know. It just seems you got to get your closers, but I think you also have to, like, draw a line somewhere, too. Uh, and and Bobby Witt. Bobby Witt was one that stood out to me, too. So, mm. like, we, we haven't had an elite prospect like this, I guess, in a while that has the opportunity to, to start with his team on opening day. And there's already talk about that. And uh, even if it's not opening day, you know, maybe it's two weeks into the season. Um, it, it reminded me a little bit of Ronald Acuna. Uh, back mm. when he was first coming up. So, like, really cool feature on the NFBC. You could look at his historical ADP data. Uh, back in 2018, Ronald Acuna, his ADP was 100. Wow. Bobby Witt is at 67 right now. So, like, I understand he's got the power, he's got the speed, but strikeouts were an issue last year in spring training. Um, you know, the strikeouts got better in the minor leagues last season. So, I'm not overly worried about it, but there definitely could be an adjustment period. Uh, that That seems... That seems really aggressive as of now for Bobby Witt. Right. I, I totally agree. It's too rich for my liking. Right? <laughs> Definitely not going fishing around there. But uh, yeah, it's it, the closer stuff is fascinating. Um, like we brought up before. And, and, and it's just it's getting 
And you know what? Uh, this is like something that c- catches my eye. It's like Mark Melanson, right? Leads the league with 39 saves. He's at ADP um, 137 right now. Ties 119, low is 172. Like, I don't know. I, I, I'm under the impression that he's going to go back to the Padres, but he's going somewhere to close, right? If he, I'm just saying, if he had a team attached to him right now, what do you think he'd be a little higher? Uh, I mean, he just seems to be in a spot where people are still doubting whether, you know, he can do the job or whether he will get it. But um, I think he proved to us last year that he was he was going to be the guy, you know, and he was it. Um, I don't know. What do you think about Mark Melanson? So I haven't dissected him yet, but it feels like he kind of fell off in the second half. And I, re- I really didn't have him on many teams, but it felt like he did blow a lot of saves in the second half. So uh, I think you're right. I think he probably winds up somewhere as the closer. I don't know that he winds up back with the Padres, uh, but you are correct that if he was on a team right now and you knew that he was, or you had a pretty good feeling that he was going to be the closer, he probably would be going in, I I think the round seven range, right? Like right around Will Smith. Will Smith is in the seventh right now. Uh, Mark Melanson is going exactly two rounds later than, than Will Smith. So if he had a job, I think that's probably the disparity you're looking at. Yeah. And along the same lines, uh, Craig Kimbrell. Craig Kimbrell's ADP is 142 right now. Right. And uh, it, the White Sox picked up his option. He's on their team for now. But all the talk has been that they're going to trade him away. Right. Somewhere else. Uh, it sounds like so, the Phillies are hot on him. I think they were during the trading deadline and didn't have the resources. But I think they're going to try to dip back into it now. Dombrowski pretty much came out and said, we need a guy who's a firm ninth inning option. So I think they revisit that. That stands out to me. So, like, if I'm doing draft champions – if you don't get one of these, if you don't get a uh, Kenley Jansen in the seventh or Will Smith, which I think is perfectly fine value, uh, I'm probably just waiting until the ninth or tenth and then taking my shot on on Craig Kimbrell because I think he's going to wind up somewhere. Uh, you mentioned the Phillies. Padres, right? He already has right. familiarity there. They they need a closer now. I, I think that could make some sense too. Right, right. It, it, it's, it's tough because like, uh, even a guy like Jordan – Romano, who's going right next to Will Smith, it just you know he was so good for the Blue Jays, but you know in in the back of your mind you could maybe still think that the Blue Jays might go that Kirby Yates route like they did last year. I don't think they do, and I don't think they should. Romano definitely proved that you know he was awesome in that role, um, but you never know, right? He's not like a guy like Chapman or Jansen or Will Smith that is the guy, and you know for sure will be the guy. He should be the guy, it looks like from what he did last year, but you know that's up to the debate. Yeah, no, that seventh round ADP seems a little bit too rich for right now for for Jordan Romano. I, I was just looking to see uh, where is Camilo Duvall going. So he's going in the fourteenth round. Like that's that's a fun pick, Rob. That's a fun one. Oh that's yeah, that's a fun pick, and and that could wind up being like you know the breakout closer, like a top five guy by the end of the year. And right, like we don't have we don't have it in writing. I think you always you're kind of worried about Gabe Kapler because like he's messed around with closer situations in the past. I used to rip my hair out when this guy was the manager for the Phillies. I think I had Hector Neris on like all my teams one year opening day. I think they have like some scrub in there to close and it's not <laughs> Hector Neris. I'm like, what are we doing? Um, but Camilo Duvall was the closer in September and in the postseason. So I, I feel pretty good that, that he's going to be the guy for the giants. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, it's uh, I mean, he showed, in in the postseason and the end of the year that he was a threat for sure um it's just all remains to be seen right you know if if jake mcgee is still effective or will they just use him um you know 
don't know, still use that kind of approach where, you know, we'll, we'll divvy it up. There's maybe Doval get 60% and Rogers and, and McGee get, so that's why I feel like McGee is too, is, is I think, um, let me pull up his ADP, but he may be a guy too, right? If you feel like they are going to go that route and, and um, you know, go with the closer committee, he may be a guy, he, he's going right now, ADP 287, Jake McGee. You know, it's kind of like last year with like where a Melanson and Norese and uh, Brad Hand types were starting off the draft season uh, so down deep, but, but got you a ton of saves, you know? Um, so I guess he might be a guy where like if you're going with the later um, later strategy of closers, um, Matt Barnes is right next to him too at 278. Do I guess people think that they're going to upgrade or that he's just going to be ineffective? You got to think he's kind of going to go back to that role with the contract or... I don't know. It's interesting. That's pretty late. It seems pretty late for him. I don't think I'm like want to draft him, but it just seems like an ideal spot. Maybe if you're pumping saves to later. Yeah. Like the Red Sox are tough to figure out right now. And and so the first name I looked up is, is Garrett Whitlock. Where is Garrett Whitlock going? And he's going around earlier than the Red right. Sox. So I mean, uh, then, then Matt Barnes for the Red Sox. So I, that tells me that the early lean from people drafting now is, is, is that Whitlock might be the guy, but um, it, it could wind up being neither. Um, so yeah, I think this is like, this is a scary range to be a part of right now, Rob. Like, I, I, think, <laughs> I know. Like, like I would probably try to stay away from like, you want one or maybe even two that you feel really good about by the time you get to this spot. And then I, I would probably just like skip this range because like, there's so much unknown with like a lot of the, these teams. Uh, and then again, like I said, like once we get to like 20, 25 round 25 plus, just take a bunch of guys that have like really good skills and, and hope that they kind of worked them their way into some saves. Yeah. I like, I've always liked that approach to, you know, um, there's definitely times where it's the, you know, draft the role, not the skills, but I, you know, as you get deep into that draft, you're definitely looking for those, um, those high upside arms who pop it off the page, but there just seems to be so many more of them now too, right? Every team has these three or four guys that are, are just really, you know, skills wise, just wowing, um, Another spot I want to talk about is uh, I just uh, scanning Twitter, you know, it seems like a lot of people feel that third base is kind of weak this year or not deep. Um, it's an interesting group because, you know, you got a guy like Alex Bregman, who's always been consistently good um, last two seasons. He, he's been a little off. He's, he had a wrist surgery that, you know, maybe just came out of nowhere. Maybe some people didn't know about it. Um, but what do you, what do you see when you look at this, uh, this, this, this group of um, third basemen right here? It's definitely not a good position. Like there's no <laughs> doubt about that. Uh, but I, I think when you play the position scarcity game, Rob, like you kind of, it's a slippery slope, right? So like mm. if you, if you, if you put it on a pedestal, then, then you start reaching for guys and it kind of like throws off your strategy. And next thing you know, like, you're drafting someone like Arenado earlier than he should just because he plays third base and he's not going to give you any steals at all. And Great his batting point. average really plummeted outside of uh, Colorado for the first time too. So I'm looking at the, like it's, it is definitely not a good position, but if you can get someone like Devers or Machado, I think in the second round, I don't really mind where Austin Riley is going right now. Uh, he's not going to give you any speed either, but you know, can he hit 280 with 30 homers? I, I think that's like a pretty fair projection for him. Yep. Uh, Alex Bregman, I mean, he's a tough one to figure out because now, like, you have the wrist surgery on top of everything. The team context is really good. Like, the counting stat should be awesome as long as he's healthy for the Houston Astros. Not going to hurt you with batting average. Right. But the power is, like, you don't really know what to expect. He's, he seems like he was a product of the juice ball and that he's 
he's probably more of like a 23 to 25 homer guy, which, again, at third base, it, it, it just doesn't really move the needle. It sounds, you know, pretty right. inspiring. Um, right. He'd have to bring the speed back, I think, to if he's yeah. going to be in that range of homers and still stay maybe 280, 290. But if he brings back 10, 10, 11 steals, or maybe if they lose, uh, you know, Carlos Javier, maybe he goes back to short, that may introduce like a whole nother value for him. But uh, up until then, yeah, I mean, I, t- I took him in one league already um, in a, in a best ball league, a cheap best ball league, just because um, he was there late. It was uh, past one twenty, um, And I was like, at this point I'm taking out, but <laughs> you know, yeah. no, that, 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 that is pretty late. Uh, I think the name that you mentioned kind of just comparing him, uh, Carlos Correa, like that's, what Correa did last year should be what Bregman kind of strives to do, which I think was like 280, 25 homers, really, really good counting stats. I don't, I, he did not steal a single base. Carlos Correa didn't last year. Uh, and I think he still finishes like a top 50 overall player in terms of like overall value, uh, Roto, like if you look at an auction calculator. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's probably, that's the, that's like the recipe right there for Bregman um, to have a really good season at his current ADP. The name right behind him, I, yeah. I don't mind. I, I think I'm going to be pretty interested. Anthony Rendon, his, yep. his ADP is at 117. He's going uh, 30 picks after Alex Bregman. Both of those guys were, you know, third, fourth round picks last year in 15 team leagues. Um, you know, if if any if the Angels can ever stay healthy together, I think the lineup could be pretty good. Joe Adele is there now. Brandon Marsh is there. So I've, that's probably the cutoff for me because once you get past Rendon, I mean, you're looking at DJ LeMahieu, Cabrian Hayes. It's yeah, it gets yeah, wild after that. You, yeah, I, you, mean, I think a fallback. Like if I wound up with Moncada or Justin Turner, it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. I want to see where Matt Chapman winds up. It seems like he's going to be traded, but I think another year further removed from surgery, maybe someone I could buy back in on. His ADP is one seventy nine. That's that seems pretty fair. Uh, yep. But yeah, probably going to try and target one of those top nine guys uh, with maybe like a star next to Anthony Rendon. Yeah, I, that, that's a great it's a great point out. It's going 30 picks after they both have that, you know, like you said, the former, uh, you know, top you know, two, three round guys. Um, it, it, that's definitely an interesting look, Anthony Rendon. And I'm going to have to, uh, you know, look into him a little more and see if I can mine any news on him, because uh, I think I think a lot of people are going to be interested to see what he could do when he comes back, especially if you can get your speed early and, uh, you know, and, and, and I think a guy like Rendon on, I, I'm sure he didn't forget how to hit. You know, yeah, I got a, I, it's like a weird spot too down low with like Condelario, Josh Donaldson, Toro, um, Gio Sella, Valar, Kyle Seeger. Again, these guys aren't sexy, but um, they're going to give you PT. I think, you know, they're going to be in there for playing time, but it's just not like they're either, they're lacking um, in, in, in either one category or several of them, you know, and then we got Kevin Biggio just trying to make his way back into, uh, <laughs> into anything. So what a big drop off, huh? Yeah, wow. I mean, I'm looking at a few of these names here. I mean, this is I'm pretty sure Mike Mustakis, is like his contract says that he's going to play. Like he I mean, he could I guess he could get traded because the Reds sounds like they want to trade a few pieces as well, but 361, uh, you're right. Mustakis is someone I liked last year. I I felt like he was undervalued. I, he, look, he was hurt all year. He had an awful season, there's no doubt about it, but I mean, I picked 361. I mean, what are we looking for at that point? It's just someone that's going to play and, and maybe provide a little bit of power. And it seems like that's what Mustakas could do. Uh, even further down, I know I just said, like, don't draft prospects, but Jose Miranda, mm. like 527. Right. Like, this, and, he, he should have been up last year. He should have been up in September. He just had, like, 
one of the best years in the minor leagues. He hit over 300, over 30 home runs. He monster, monster year. Minnesota Twins. Uh, I don't, I don't know if they're like fully rebuilding, but it, it, it seems like they're going to give him a shot pretty early in the season. So, man, that that's a name for you. Five twenty seven. That that ADP is um, that's way too late. And 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 you and you see the discrepancy that difference in the in the min and the max. He's got well, it looks like the highest on the page um, because it looks like someone who was like at four hundred two was like I can't wait any longer. <laughs> you know, I want this yeah. guy on my team, hundred percent. Right. Yeah, he was a monster all throughout the minors last year. And yeah, you got to think with Donaldson getting his, you know, um, because I know I think Miranda actually moved around the diamond in the minor league last year, so yeah. um, that'll be um interesting for sure. One guy that I was like kind of looking at, um, he's thirty fifth third baseman off the board at three eighty six, but has second, third, and short eligibility is Hassan Kim on the Padres. What if they want to, um, you know, I don't know, some teams are going to upgrade through free agency, but what if they can find something for him? Of value where a team covets him maybe as getting full-time at bats and uh, I don't know, maybe he stumbles upon PT elsewhere um, or with the Padres. I don't know. I just, he seems like a guy who I feel like with, with some PT can, can get back into what he was um, overseas. You know, I think he just needs a shot. Yeah. Have they said for sure yet if Fernando Tatis is going to play shortstop next year? I, I mean, I assume he is. But- I assume he is too, right? I mean, I think so. But yeah. I guess at that point, does 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 Cronenworth just completely overtake Hosmer at first, or did he keep playing, you know, at second as well? Well, you know, this act, this could work out pretty easily because if the universal DH comes to the National League now, then I mean, a spot opens up, uh, and it looks like, I mean, their roster resource page right now, Hassan Kim is probably the next person up for for playing time. I would imagine either him or Jerks and Profar. So. Yeah, like you can, you can hmm, probably put like Will Myers at DH and uh, maybe maybe Cronenworth gets back into the outfield a little more this year. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. I don't know if I don't know if Kim could play the outfield, but maybe maybe that's a possibility too. Right. Uh, Yeah, I think the Universal DH. Yeah, that could that could definitely open up some playing time for Kim. Yeah, he's just a guy that caught my eye as. I guess I was looking at multi you know, you get to the point in the draft where you're looking at some multi-eligibility guys like, you know, Wilma Flores and Luis Arias, and he was in that range. And I'm like, hmm. I'm like, hmm, what happened with this guy? You know, I feel like uh, it's a little bit of opportunity. And yeah, that's a good point about the DH. I wasn't thinking about the DH route. See, Frank, that's why you're here, buddy. Fucking <laughs> helping me out, man. Um, so listen, I don't want to keep it too long, but I want to hit Fab real quick from last year. I know kind of sidewind into this year's talk because we start grade right into some DC, but, um, you know, especially too, with a partner, right? I don't know if you could walk me through like your process. I played my first year this year with a teammate and Jenny Butler, uh, we played in a tag team league and it was, it was, it was awesome. Like it was a good experience. Um, uh, I felt like I grew because I trusted another person, um, with, with the, the you know, it, it, it's a big process. I think we all have our ways. Um, and, and so to merge with someone else, especially someone as good as Jenny, uh, I learned a lot. And um, just tell me how your fab process works as well. And maybe if you could toss in a couple of guys that like you really hit on and a couple of stinkers. Yeah. So look, there's a lot of give and take and, and we're talking about uh, Sunday, Sunday night, Sunday afternoon, where, I mean, these are like 60 to 90 minute phone calls, like at the minimum uh, with my yeah. heart. Talking. So like, <laughs> It, it, like it's a, it's tough like so something that i don't know if people 
take advantage of like the watch list on on NFBC, but you know whatever a scout team, whatever you want to call it. But it's huge, uh, basically, right? like th- throughout the course of the week, I'm just like throwing a bunch of players on on the on the watch list, right? So right. It's, like whoever's popping up, if it's a reliever, if there's something going on, if you know the player steals a base here or there, uh, whatever. Like I'll just I'll keep adding them to the watch list, and and then we we just kind of work off of that, and we go position by position. But we're also like. We're also sorting by, you know, plate appearances and, and we're looking at matchups and, oh my God, like there's, I remember there was just like so much stuff to consider. Um, and I would say <laughs> that like, if you, if you know that you're like a stubborn person, like having a teammate to do fab with is not for you. I'm not like, I usually like I'll give in. I mean, obviously like we're having conversations, we're trying to figure out like he'll throw a number out there and then I'll be like, all right, well, this is what I was thinking. And then, uh, you know, maybe we'll meet in the middle, something like that. Or mm-hmm. if he really has a strong feeling, maybe we'll go closer to the number that he had. Um, but yeah, like it, it's, it's a lot of give and take, uh, you know, it's kind of like a marriage, right? Like, I feel like that's what I'm talking about right now is like, you know, you, you, you have to meet in the middle on a, on a few things. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, when we're playing in a league, this expensive you know, main event, it's, I wouldn't fault anyone for, for wanting to team up with someone else. Uh, in terms of some of the moves that we made, the, the most expensive ad that we made, um, which, again, was probably one of our biggest mistakes of the year, uh, was Jaron Duran. So we we picked him up for $158. And, uh, man, it, I had, like, PTSD because the first year I played in the main event, I did the same thing with Carter Keeboom. I picked him up for, like, $300, and he sucked, man. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that's one of my things is, like, I, I think I just want to, like, stay away from the prospects, man. Um, not completely, but I think just to fill a need, right? Like if you have a need, like we didn't even need an outfielder that much. And I was just like, why did we go as hard on Jaron Duran as we did? I think it was like maybe just part of the hype, uh, just kind of getting caught up in it. I know that you picked up Alec Manoa in the league that we played in. I I think you spent like over 200 on him. Yeah. Um, I think we might've had the, the backup bid on him. Um, and we needed pitching at that point. So, you know, look, I'm not telling you like all, don't like just fade all pro- uh, prospects in, in fab. Um, like this year was just like a weird year for prospects too. Cause like they didn't have a season in 2020. So like a lot of the guys came up and they failed right away. Like Kelnick was awful. Uh, Wanda Franco, when he first came up was not good. And then obviously he turned it on. Uh, Jaron Duran was awful, uh, but there were like a lot of prospects that just failed. And I think that's uh, part of just like where minor league baseball is at right now and, and, and the missing season. So he's someone who stood out. That was definitely a huge mistake. Um, someone we messed up dropping who also, uh, what you wound up benefiting by picking up was Alex Colome. So mm-hmm. another one where like we didn't even like Colome. Why <laughs> draft him? We like that's, you know. I think you get caught up in the moment and, and you're 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 drafting and you're like, all right, I need saves. I, I've got to get saves somewhere. So like we just draft Alex Colome. Uh, I don't know. It was probably like the 18th or 19th round, whatever it was. And then we're looking at it. We're just like, why do we draft Alex Colome? This guy sucks. Uh, so he you know, he loses his job and like. <laughs> I don't even think he escaped April with the job. Like, he was that bad. Uh, right, we drop right. him, and then I think you pick him up later on in the season. He winds up with, like, 15 or 16 saves. Uh, but, like, I would say take it easy with prospects. That's, like, one of my biggest takeaways. Mm-hmm. You, you can bid on some guys, especially later on in the year. You know, someone that's going to be a difference maker. Joe Ryan comes up. You know, someone like that. A couple of years ago, Yordan Alvarez. Um, even further than that, like, Gary Sanchez was a huge league winner for people. So, right. it's, you know, there's going to be a few that help for sure. But just don't overdo it. Um, and I think, uh, trying not to, to spend too frequently on, um, closer, uh, like safe sources, like, right, don't, right. don't overspend on these guys. Like you could take a few shots here and there, 
But I, I think that just goes back to like trying to get a few guys in the draft. Um, so you don't have to like spend money all year. It felt like all year we were trying to pick up uh, saves and um, Craig Kimbrell getting traded just completely killed. Oh us. yeah, that was huge. We, we had him and, and he, he was a great source. Uh, but then once he, he was gone, like we had to, I think we wound up with like Tyler Clippert on our team at the end of the year. Uh, it was gross. Um, so yeah. It takes I'd up say, a lot of energy going, yeah. going and looking for saves. It sucks the life out of you sometimes, especially when you need it so bad, right? And just like, right. what the fuck am I doing? I'm sitting here for three hours looking at leverage index or whatever. And you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, but but oh, I, I think you made a good point, like it, it, either lowering the bids for the closers or like I just came up with something during the season, like everyone just chasing waste, like all because I was doing that fab review with um, Todd Whitestone. And you just when you look at it weekly over a broad look, you just realize how many relievers are just getting cycled in and out. And at like some point, maybe it's worth it to just hold on to them for two or three weeks instead of picking up another guy that next week, you know, unless the opportunity in the situation totally changed. But I felt like I was doing that at the beginning of the season. It's like, all right, why am I just picking up another $3 guy every week? You know, just like maybe, maybe I should give myself some time on these guys, but it's definitely comes from the drafting as well with the closers and the, just, you know, the whole way they're getting treated now. It's just, uh, it's a mess, but yeah, it, it, it could take up your whole weekend really. If you, <laughs> if you're that desperate, you know? Yeah. I think trying to keep your bids under a hundred too. I, again, I know that's a lot of people are going to reference things that Phil did this year. Cause obviously he was so successful, but I've heard him talk about that before where he kind of like, he doesn't really go above 80 or hundred on, on his fab bids. And I, you know, I think that's, that's probably, you know, a, a pretty good mindset to have. Um, and you could kind of just keep picking up these like 30 to $50 players. And, and eventually a few of those are going to hit. Um, but you know, if you, if you do it for like 150 for like a Jaron Duran or someone else for like 200, a prospect, that doesn't work out, then it just limits your ability to 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 pick up more of those like thirty, forty, fifty dollar guys uh, right. throughout the, the middle part of the season. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I had two guys that I went crazy for. One was Manoa in our league for three nineteen, and and my other main it was Eloy when he came back for like two hundred and seventy bucks. And that was honestly, I didn't think I was going to get him because. Um, it was a tough league. It was one of those where I had like 105 points and I was in fifth, you know, like everybody, like I had more points at one point than being in first in our main. And I was in fifth in that main. I was like, wow, this is, you know, it's crazy how two leads can be completely different. And um, it was just, uh, I didn't expect to get him. <clears throat> I definitely needed him, but I definitely didn't have the most money available to get him. So, but other than those two guys, I didn't have a guy over 81 in both leagues. And I think that's huge. Like um, it's, I was trying to be as disciplined as I could. And if I thought it was going to be a rest of a season guy, um, it was something I wouldn't, I wasn't hesitating to bid up like in the fifties or sixties for, but if I just felt like it was a couple of weeks or um, I, I think that's, you know, how do you know? Right. Cause that's what the blind bidding thing, you, you feel strong about some guys Friday to Sunday, but how, you know, what's that worth to you? Right. <laughs> what, what is that Friday to Sunday worth to you? Six, 11, you know, some people think it's worth 21 and you're like, shit, I should have put more, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. I get a look, uh, something I would do as well is uh, I'll look at previous week's bids and, and see like maybe what a similar type of player went for. So right. uh, if someone was speculating on a reliever, how much did that player go for? If somebody was picking up like a, 
a crappy two-star pitcher, like how much did that guy go for? Did he go for like 13, 16, whatever? So then I know, all right, if I really want this guy, maybe I up it a little bit, I get into the 20s. Uh, so I, I think that's a good reference too, is like looking back at other weeks, Fab Report, and seeing what a similar player went for, and you kind of use that as like your your basis, um, your starting point for how much you want to bid on a certain player. Absolutely. Find that such a great piece of advice right there because the information there, you can get, you get what you want out of the league. You know, if you put in the work, hundred percent. I know when I was, when I, when I went, like when I was trying to make my, my marking saves or case, right. When you're trying to determine that amount, um, you know, and I was just like, all right, you know what? I have to sit down and really figure this out. So going through the guys ahead of me, um, all the owners, like how many saves they had, but also who are they starting at the moment? Right. Do they still have two or three closers? Are they even starting closers? You know, go, go and look at that. You know, it's there for you to see. So if you, you know, if you have the time, you want to do that. I just felt like the weeks I, uh, I really like focused in on where am I going to make my points? You know, what am I going to spend more on in fab? Um, that was when I, you know, got real, a clear picture of it. Oh my God, this guy's got Kimbrel now. And, you know, he, he's going to, he's probably going to drop down and saves and all that, you know, I think um, just making those little bullet points in your prep can really help you. Yeah. And I would say looking at how much fab other people have too. like, don't let that completely distract you. But for example, uh, say you lost a pitcher to injury, Rob, and, and that's why you wanted to be aggressive on picking up Alec Manoa. You know, maybe you are, right, I know Rob just lost. We'll just say you Darvish, for example goes down for injury rest of the season you look at how much fab rob has and try and figure out like okay well if he's going to be really aggressive say he wants to put like a 30 percent bid on alec manoa uh you know maybe i'll i'll try to one-up that a little bit more so it's not like a perfect science but i think looking at situations like that where you can see other people's uh fab amounts um it's it's also it's just like another wrinkle into doing all of this right absolutely Awesome, Frank. I don't want to take up too much of your time anymore. Uh, you gave me a lot tonight, and I really appreciate it, man. This was awesome. I think we had a great pod. I think people are going to get some killer insights. And um, it was just great to get to talk to you. And, uh, you know, um, aside from Twitter and all that fun stuff, you know, it's, uh, I, I enjoy these podcasts because I, I learn from everybody. And it's just um, it's awesome. It's, it's just awesome to talk and, and realize how much we have in common, you know? Yeah, 100%. I really appreciate you having me on here. Um, and yeah, like you're, you're doing a great thing here. The fact that like you're having all, all different kinds of people from around the industry, different high stakes players, uh, different just like general fantasy analysts. And um, you can never stop learning, man. Like, right. It's, it's just like there's so much. You can hear like all these different ways that people win and the different things that they do, especially when like we're dealing with people this smart playing in like, you know, we're, we're playing for high stakes. There's a lot of money involved. So, right. uh, yeah, no, keep it up, man. You're doing a great job. Um, appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. I, again, I admire what you do too, because you put yourself out there and you're, you're, there's not, there's not a lot of people, uh, who, who work for, uh, a company like yours where, where you're dipping into that, um, high stakes. So it's, it, it's cool. It's, it's good to be able to see that, you know, um, that you're, you're front and center, you're giving people, well, you know, your thoughts on players and it, that's hard, right? Because uh, anyone could listen and, and, and use it against you, but, you know, it keeps you sharper, of course. Yeah, or you could listen to the players that I like and, and you could just completely fade them because that probably seems like a more profitable strategy uh, <laughs> at this point. But no, you're right about that. It's just like, oh, whatever. Like, yeah, I've got nowhere to hide. It's uh, you know, like fully full transparency. Everyone yeah. can look at my rankings. They see the players that I like, yep. whoever I don't like. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it makes it a little bit tougher, but again, like at the end of the day, like 
I'm sure that there are bigger fish to fry. Like people are looking at other teams. I don't know that they're looking at Frank Stample's team yet. Maybe one day. Maybe one day we'll we'll work up to that point. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll keep listening to Rob DiPietro, and 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 hopefully I'll get to that point. Awesome, Frank. Why don't you tell everyone where they could find you, where they can find your work if they're not following you by now or or listen to your podcast? I, I don't know what they've been doing lately. Yeah, again, uh, let them know. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Roto underscore Frank. You can listen to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. Uh, it, we also have a five-minute version of that podcast. So, like, if you just don't have a lot of time to dedicate to, to an hour-long podcast in the offseason, uh, we do have a, a five-minute shorter version of that. So, uh, as of now, we're, uh, we're pushing the podcast out twice per week. We're going to keep doing that basically through December. Then January will go up to three times, February up to four, and then from March through... July, we're basically five times a week, and then we'll start to slow it down a little bit. But uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of fantasy baseball content coming. I, I, that, that, that's a lot, man. Good for you. God bless you. Really, really putting in the work. Every time, every time I, I fire up the five minute pod in my head, for some reason, takes me to the scene um, in something about Mary when he's talking about the seven minute abs and he's like, you'll be good until someone comes up with a six minute ab. Right. And I just like wait for someone to come up with like a four minute fantasy baseball <laughs> podcast for some stupid reason. I just had to tell you that. I just like, when it, when I look at it, that's what comes into my head, you know, like, no, seven's the key number here. You know, it's like, cause that's, that, that's always what happens. I right? was the eight minute abs and over the seven minute abs, but uh, yeah. Oh, awesome. I'll, I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret, Rob. Uh, we're it's fantasy baseball today in five. Every episode is six minutes. I, yeah, I can't, yeah. I can't keep it below six. So <laughs> that's that's usually what I aim for. As long as we can keep it below six, uh, I, I think we're all right. That's awesome, Frank. I really appreciate you um, coming on, buddy. And uh, good luck to everything that you're doing. And keep grinding. Give everyone what they want. It's awesome. Yep. Same to you, man. All right. All righty, folks. Once again, thank you for hanging out and making it through the Poor Hitter Podcast. Thank you for listening. Appreciate all the support. It really means so much just to interact with everyone. The feedback from the podcast um, and the episode itself, um, just just been great. So once again, I'm happy that I can sit down, talk to everyone about fantasy baseball, and uh, be able to record it and put it out into the world. And um, you know, uh, it's amazing that some of you, uh, a lot of you, listen to it and and um, appreciate it. So it's it's really. It's really awesome. It's uh, it makes it so much fun for me. It's uh, it's the best hobby that I probably picked up, um, and it's great. Um, appreciate you all, and thanks for tuning in. And have a good night, and don't be a big bag of shit.